On this edition of the Bell Tour Christie Podcast, we answer a question we received on the website concerning soul survival and what this means pertaining to life after death. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is yours truly, Brian Chilton, and we thank you for joining us on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast, and today we are talking about soul survival. Uh, we have uh, recently, well not recently, we have uh, published some materials on the intermediate state as well as um, the issue of soul survival before, but uh, I've received some um, questions uh, from a lady named Terry uh, concerning uh, the issue of soul survival and whether or not it's a biblical concept and uh, talking about the resurrection and how all of this fits together. And so that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. Uh, we, uh, Terry and I have had uh, a lot of conversations concerning uh, this very issue, and so we want to, uh, as, as I was mentioning to her, uh, our conversations went back and forth, so I wanted to give this a full treatment uh, for her and those out there who may, be, who may have questions concerning this issue of soul survival. What happens to a person? Uh, particularly uh, after one dies, between uh, one's death and um, the resurrection. Okay, so one thing I do want to I do want to mention, and as we go through this, is that the whole idea of soul survival does not mean. And when we talk about soul survival, we're talking about the the fact that uh, this is the concept that the soul continues to live on in a disembodied state. Disembodied means. Uh, that there's an existence, a soulish existence, a a conscious existence beyond the scope of the mere mortal body. And so one of the biggest questions is, um, is this a biblical doctrine? Uh, or or is this uh, is this something that is more in line with uh, uh, Greek uh, philosophy or something of that sort? And then that's been the biggest pushback by individuals who are against the whole idea of soul survival. So um, I want to present six ideas, uh, six basic theories um, that are be, have been presented by Peter Kreeft uh, and or Kreft and Ronald Tesselli in the Handbook of Christian Apologetics, and this is on page 227 and 228, they present six 
um, basic theories about what happens to a person uh, when one dies. And uh, what the first um, concept that is presented is that of um, materialism. And this idea is that nothing survives. Death ends uh, all of a person's existence. And really, this is this is an issue that uh, to Kreft and Tesselli mentioned that it was seldom held before the 18th century. Uh, materialism is now a strong minority view in industrialized nations. It is the um, it is the natural accompaniment of atheism. Now, interestingly enough, uh, those who those Christians Christians who hold to soul death or soul sleep. The idea that the soul doesn't really die, but it just it goes in a in a an unconscious state, or even as Terry and and others like uh, answers in uh, uh, amazing facts. I think is amazing facts. I'm not sure of the group who runs that, but uh, amazing facts. Uh, if you see them online, they present the idea that the soul dies, that the only existence that it, that, that it, they do believe in eternal life in as far as it means. After the resurrection, they believe that the soul dies at death, and then the whole body and the whole person is resurrected, uh, and then resumes life for eternity from that point. Uh, the problem is that uh, it has a lot in common with um, uh, a monistic version of life that the soul and body are together it also really in my opinion has a lot in common with this materialist worldview the second view is paganism uh, this holds that a vague shadowy semi-cell for ghost survives and goes to the place of the dead the dark gloomy underworld uh, this is the standard pagan belief uh, and and there's interesting. Interestingly enough, there is a uh, trace of it that can be found in the Jewish notion of Sheol. But the the thing that is interesting concerning Sheol in the Old Testament is that there seems to be a dual compartmentalization of Sheol. There was a part of Sheol uh, that was more like a holding place, uh, a, a a soulish area that would hold disembodied souls that were not. Uh, in communion with God, and then there were there was this other compartment of Sheol or or paradise, as it's better called, where individuals would go to uh, God, where individuals would uh, be in the presence of God and their loved ones. I think in some places it's mentioned that someone dies and goes to live with their ancestors. Okay, but the pagan idea is basically the idea that you have these disembodied souls wandering the world. And and there are, I believe, spirits that we, we there are spiritual. There is a spiritual dimension all around us, I believe, and so I won't get into all of that. But that is a view that's held. Reincarnation is a third view. This is that the individual soul survives and is reincarnated into another body. This is especially popular with uh, Hindu beliefs and Buddhist beliefs. Now, the Buddhist belief and Hindu belief, uh, they are different. In Hinduism, a person is reincarnated to the point that they live in uh, utopia, which is a heaven-like state with God for all eternity. Uh, and with Buddhism, uh, the person is basically re is reincarnated until they reach nirvana, which is basically nothingness being one with the universe. Pantheism, uh, the pantheist view is that j death changes nothing, 
For what survives death is the same as what was real before death. Only the one changeless, eternal, perfect, spiritual, divine, all-inclusive reality, sometimes by the name of Brahman. And that kind of goes into the the uh, the whole uh, idea that we presented by Hinduism. There is now the, the fifth and sixth views are we want to decipher. Now here is why amazing facts and 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 groups like this, uh, Jehovah Witnesses are, are a group that holds this. I may, think maybe Seventh Day Adventist, but I'm not certain of that. The reason there are some who push back against the idea of the intermediate state and of soul survival is because they have confused Platonism with the intermediate state. Platonism is the idea that uh, the individual soul survives death, but not the body. This soul eventually reaches its eternal destination of heaven or hell uh, through intermediate stages, perhaps. Uh, but what survives is an individual bodiless spirit and there is no resurrection. Now, that is problematic because they do not because this view does not hold to a resurrection. Now the resurrection view is that death at death the soul separates from the body and is reunited at the end of the world to its new immortal resurrected body by a divine miracle. This is the Christian view says Kreft, Kreft and uh, Teselli. This view the supernatural resurrection of the body rather than the natural immortality of the soul alone is the only version of life after death in Scripture. Okay, now, here's the thing. The soul does survive death, though, before the resurrection takes place. Now, this is what we're talking about. We're not arguing against the resurrection here. And I'm not saying that the resurrection doesn't happen. Okay, I wholeheartedly believe the resurrection happens, and I think that's that's where this whole concept, where where people uh, push back against the idea of soul survival because they think that there is some type of form of Platonism being espoused, but that's just simply not the case. Now, there are several reasons biblically for holding to soul survival. Now, one of the things that people will do when they don't hold to soul survival is they keep using this idea that, that Jesus and, and the New Testament writers talk about sleep, meaning as thinking that the soul somehow doesn't survive death. That is a metaphor, okay? It is a metaphor. Speaking of the condition of the body, it's not talking anything about the soul, when a person, when Jesus even talks about the resurrection of Lazarus, he says, "I'm going to go wake him up." Okay, that doesn't identify. That doesn't mean that the soul has ceased to exist. It basically means he's going to call the soul back into the body, wake the body up. Okay, but he's not saying anything. This has nothing to do with the soul. It's a metaphor that was used in in um, even extra biblical. Uh, texts to refer to the same thing. The sleep is a metaphor for death, does not have anything to do with the soul, it's just talking about the condition of the body. Actually, talk the sleep as a metaphor understands the fact that there is a part of that person that survives death and comes back to rejuvenate the body to bring it back to life so that a person who has died physically the body only appears to be asleep and will one day wake up because 
of the resurrection or the resuscitation that happened in this in this place. So, I want to give you seven texts, uh, seven biblical texts that I think, quite frankly, clearly show that the soul survives death. And the first thing, we want to go in the Old Testament for the first one. The first one comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. In this text, uh, the the, uh, writer of Ecclesiastes, which I believe is probably Solomon, that's just my opinion, says, So remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity comes, and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, and the women who grind cease, excuse me, grind grain cease because they are few, and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly, the doors at the streets are shut. While the sound of the mill fades, while one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song grow faint, also they will be afraid of heights and, and dangers on the road, so on and so forth. It goes on to verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped, and the gold bowl is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken into the well. Here is the text I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you for being patient. And the dust returns to the earth as it once was, talking about the body, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The spirit returns to God who gave it. The spirit, the the um, conscious self returns to God, the one who gave the breath of life. Now, I think that shows that there's something, the breath given to us, the Spirit gave, given to us, that returns to God who gave it. Okay, so we also see, that's the first one in Ecclesiastes, that we see that the Spirit returns to God who gave it. The second thing is, is this teaching that Paul gives us in the Corinthian letters that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He goes on to say, So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Okay, we walk by faith, trusting trusting in the eternal home awaiting for us and the hope that we have even through death that we will be reunited with God. In fact, he says in verse 8, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 10. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, if your soul doesn't exist beyond death, how can you be anywhere? How can you be present with the Lord? How can you be anywhere? The fact is that to be present with the Lord means that you are conscious. You are consciously uh, identifying with the Lord. You're living with the Lord. This is a conscious experience. Okay? Now, so we see that there is this promise that Paul gives, this understanding that Paul had that the soul went away from the body to be with the Lord. But he also describes this condition as being a kind of a form of nakedness, that the ultimate standard being preferred 
is the one, the thing of preferential value is to, for the soul, the eternal soul, to be reunited with the body, to be part of this physical resurrection that happens, that that where we live both mind, body, spirit, soul all together with the Lord for all eternity. You see, there's this beautiful picture in in Scripture that God is restoring all things to the back to the place uh, where it's intended to be. He is going to restore creation and the new heaven and the new earth, but he also restores our soul to the point it needs to be. And then he was going to restore our bodies to a sinless existence. Okay? So this is part of the recreation that God has. Okay, so but there again, that doesn't mean that the soul dies. Some people will make the argument, well, how can anything uh, live in a bodiless form? Well, what about the Holy Spirit? And that's the third point. The existence of the Holy Spirit shows that a body, a bodiless, eternal entity, can't, a conscious entity, can exist because we believe that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the the presence of God. For God is a spirit, Jesus even says in the Gospel of John. So, so he, God, His essence is that of a spirit. Uh, Jesus had a body, a physical body, when when God came and and became incarnate. We see that. But the existence of the Holy Spirit shows that there are there is at least one bodiless eternal soul being the Holy Spirit. And we see that we have, I think, if we're made Imagio Dei in the image of God, that we have that divine spark, that we have that soul in us. Also, we see that Jesus has promised to Martha. When Lazarus died, Martha and Mary wept. Okay, they wept bitterly. But Jesus says something to Martha that's very pertinent. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he, he was asking her, do you believe in the resurrection? And she said, uh, I believe, uh, that, that, do you believe that your brother will rise again? And she says, I believe at the end he will rise again. But Jesus goes on to say, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Now listen to this very carefully and listen to how it's constructed. The one who believes in me even if he dies, will live. Now, how is that possible if the soul dies with the body? That makes no sense. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That person will live on. That can only happen if you have a soulish existence, if you have a bodiless existence that happens in the existence of the human soul. Then he goes on to say, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And here is the po- here's the point. To believe in the soul death makes Jesus a liar. Because there's no way <laughs> that that can be true. What Jesus said can be true if the soul dies. He said again, let me read it again. The one who believes in me, even if he dies will live. The person will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about the soul. Will live on. Now, you say, okay, well, that's not specific enough for me. Well, let's get a little more specific. Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross is very important. The, 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 the thief on the cross says to the other criminal, don't you, because the other criminal is just giving Jesus 
a hard time while they're all hanging on the cross. And, the, and this one criminal says, Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom and listen to what Jesus says in Luke 23, verse 43. Go check it out yourself. He says, truly I tell you, today, he didn't say tomorrow, he didn't say next year, he didn't say at the end of time, he didn't say at the final resurrection. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, this very day. Here again, this this is this is a truth. This is a principle I I want to hammer home. If you believe in soul death, that the soul does not survive death, you are making Jesus out to be a liar. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to take Jesus's word over anyone else's, because he's the only one who defeated death. So I think he knows what he's talking about. He's the only one who's defeated death and can make that promise and came and even defeated death, even telling people that he was going to rise again and accomplish that. God raised him from the dead. So I think I'm going to take Jesus' advice on this. I think I'm going to go with his words here. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's take a look at the sixth, sixth point that needs to be made, and that's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I don't have to read all this. You can find this in um, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I will hit a few highlight, high points on this. So he talks about the rich man who dressed in purple, fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. Poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at the gate. Of course, Lazarus was a man who um, was serving God. And by the way, that means, that tells us something very important, that if you follow Christ, that doesn't mean you're going to have a, a, a lapdog life of luxury. Things can get difficult. As a Christian, okay, the, the the sun shines on both the evil and the good. The rain pours on both the evil and the good. Okay, um, but he but he uh, one day the poor man died, and, and listen, the poor man died. What happened after that? And was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Talking about this paradise, this this soulish existence, conscious existence with God before the resurrection. The rich man died also and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. This happened in the present tense after the person died. He's even asking Abraham to go back and warn his brothers who were still living. This happened before the resurrection. I don't see how you get around this with the soul death version, with the soul death theory. You can't. Again, if you hold to soul death, you're making Christ out to be a liar. Because Jesus is clearly teaching Life after death. But Jesus goes on, but he says in the parable, Abraham says to the man, to the rich man in Hades, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if, persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Last but certainly not least, there is a seventh biblical 
point to be made to prove that life exists beyond death, but between death and the final resurrection. And that's found in Revelation 6 and 9. In Revelation 6 and 9, when he opened up the, sixth, uh, the fifth seal... John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. The text also goes on to say that they cried out with a loud voice while in this bodiless existence at the throne of God, they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? They were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed by their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. This is before the resurrection happened again. I, I, I'm not trying to be obtuse. I'm not trying to be disrespectful here. Again, I think that soul death does not accurately interpret the Scripture. It just doesn't. I don't see how you can get around these, in my in my opinion, fairly clear teachings about the the state of existence beyond death. Let's review. Number one, the body dies, but the spirit returns to the Lord. You see this in Ecclesiastes twelve one through seven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is Paul's teaching in the Corinthian letters. Uh, especially 2 Corinthians 5, 6-10. We see the existence of the Holy Spirit, a bodiless, eternal soul that exists. We see Jesus' uh, own promise um, to Martha. He promises Martha that, uh, that He is the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in Him will never die. John 11, 25-26, um, we see that. Uh, Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross is is clearly evidential of this. Um, we see this in uh, Luke 23, verses 40-43. Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus is another thing that shows this. Uh, in Luke 16, 19-31, and finally in Revelation, the souls living by God's throne in Revelation 6, 9 and following all clearly show that the soul survives death. Folks, there's no other way to interpret this. There just isn't. So with that being said, take comfort in knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you are in Christ. And that's a truth that should encourage us as we've learned right here on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Brian Chilton saying God bless and we'll see you back the next time. Do not necessarily represent those of the Lord Christ of God.
Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of BellatorChristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit BellatorChristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.